see more innovation in packaging and processing at Pack Expo International than anywhere else in the world. It's the show that defines where the industry is headed, with the solutions that define where your business can go. Discover cutting-edge packaging technology, processing equipment, new materials, sustainable solutions, supply chain resources, and much, much more. You'll walk away with innovative solutions to challenges big and small. Register at PackExpoInternational.com. You're listening to Unpacked with PMMI, where we share the latest packaging and processing industry insights, research, and innovations to help you advance your business. Hi, and welcome to Unpacked with PMMI. I'm your host, Sean Riley. With Pack Expo Las Vegas now in our rearview mirrors, we turn our attention to Pack Expo East, March 18th through the 20th, 2024, in Philadelphia. Although more regional in nature, Pack Expo East offers similar exhibitions showcasing the latest in must see technology and trends. I sat down with Karen Sukney from Healthcare Packaging and Matt Reynolds from Packaging World to delve into some of the highlights each saw on the Pack Expo Las Vegas show floor. Automation takes center stage, addressing the urgent need for faster and more efficient production, but each editor added a few other innovations that they uncovered at Pack Expo Las Vegas. Let's have a listen. Today we have two PMMI Media Group editors. My name is Sean Riley. I'm the Senior News Director at PMMI Media Group. And to my left, I have Karen Sukney from Healthcare Packaging. And to my right, I have Matt Reynolds from Packaging World. And they're just going to bring you some of the things that they've seen on the show floor today. Automation is king, obviously, and people need it faster. They need product more efficient. There's workforce issues. Automation can help solve that need with with staffing and things like that. So obviously, automation is something that's really taken over the last couple shows. So I guess I'll start with you, Matt. Is that something that we're seeing again today? I think one of the constants that, at least in the areas that I was walking, is is the, the constant advance of robots and more specifically collaborative robots, cobots. You used to be able to almost think of uh, robots like a gated robot uh, you know, behind a uh, fencing as, as one type of technology and a collaborative robot as a completely separate type of technology that was much slower, the payloads were much uh, lower, uh, the reach was much smaller, and the speeds were much lower. Some of that was out of necessity because they are collaborative. They're supposed to be working with people. Um, but more recently, in recent years, and this, is, this has just been uh, you know, borne out this year, is, is just the number of collaborative robots that really rival traditional, traditional robotic installations in terms of reach, payload, and speeds, but still maintain that collaborative capability via sensors that just recognize who's in the zone, who's in the area. So I saw quite a few today. One was at Columbia Okura. They tend to use the UR, the Universal Robot Robotics. Again, same thing, heavy payload, longer reach, faster speeds. This one was, I think, a 44-pound payload, so like a 20-kilogram, heavier than you'd normally see in, in, in a lot of the collaborative settings. But again, with all the, the safety features that you would expect right. from a collaborative robot. Paxion had its FANUC, FANUC robots just swinging around right out in the middle of the booth. No gating, no nothing. Again, heavier payload capability, faster, and then they tend to slow down, of course, when you're within a certain zone, all, you know, using sensors. Yaskawa had a big one, 30 kilogram payload, so this is heavy stuff. All being, the, the end effector, the, the end of arm tool also 
these tend to be using vacuum technology. So you're still using 50, 100, 150 pounds without grippers with vacuum tech. So a lot of collaborative robots. So collaborative robots are, in, instead of robotics having two separate lanes, it just appears they're converging into a single lane where pretty much anything that you want to have cap- collaborative cl- capabilities plus full speed and full payload capabilities, eventually they feel like it's just going to merge and we're getting closer and closer to it. So that's not only something that is, rep- is it, it seemed like at first with collaborative robots, we wanted them to be able to work alongside other people, sort of filling people's you know, jobs that they couldn't find people to do. And it sounds like they're going beyond that and just serving the max, more of a maximum robot capability. Yeah, yeah max, cap- max capacity that just that might only have one supervisor or one human individual overseeing three or four of these. So that person needs to have access uh, and so on and to be able to get in and get out so the, the robots will slow down, they'll stop when they sense people in the, in the arena. But yeah, the, again, the lines between collaborative robots and just robots are just blurring, especially with the traditional, what you'd imagine, like the, the five to six axis arm type right. style robots. Yeah. Really cool. Karen, how about you? Yeah, so can yeah, you guys can hear me. Cool. Yeah, so earlier today I went by Robotique's booth and they have the PE20 cobot palletizing solution similar to what Matt is talking about. This is a cobot that's very fast. It has a payload of 18 kilograms, so it's about 40 pounds, stacked heights of 84 inches, and it's the idea here is like this is in a very small footprint. It's compact design, so it's easy to integrate into you know, everybody is struggling for floor space right now. And especially if you've been doing things manually, this is one way of just getting a cobot solution in there that is small and easy to manage. Um, so yeah, so food and beverage might be the most obvious kind of use case for this, but I mean, it's suitable for a variety of industries. And then one thing when we talk about cobots is that as these cobots, you know, they're, they're safe. They're, you know, as Matt said, they're swinging around around the people in the booths, but as they do get more friendly looking and sometimes more human looking, like it is very important to still consider safety. You know, I think that sometimes it's possible to get complacent because sometimes they're like a really cute little robot, you know, it's like (laughs) they might have a name and a face. And so it's just really important to always keep safety in mind, even as they become more, for lack of a better term, likable. So likable robots. Yeah, I like that. That's good. Anything else that you came across on the show floor? In terms of robots, not really. But I'm wondering if you guys want to talk about materials, sustainability. Yeah, and w- one more robot thing, though. Yeah, you yeah. mentioned floor space. Mm-hmm. Just basically floor space is at a huge premium. So yes. bringing in these big gated, these large format items is difficult. Kind of a non-starter. People are trying to, to automate. They just don't have the space for automation. Frequently, we find that to be the case. I spoke to Jordan Hamrick today. He's launching at this show... They're in Central Hall somewhere, what he's calling a combo bot. So they're in Ohio, and he had a lot of customers, brand CPG customers, Mm -hmm. that were having trouble, you know, with floor space, first of all, but then also with small format cases, like sub four inch, like smaller cases. So this, Karen, you might be interested in this, because this has to do with pharma, with uh, nutraceuticals, uh, with, uh, yeah, even OTC kind of stuff, individual boxing. So this combo bot was actually two FANUC robots in tandem, working in tandem, one pulling a small case, not really a carton, but like an actual case, but sub four inches right. off of a, you know, a, a two-dimensional cardstock, basically, erecting that, and then in tandem, well, like 
picking and placing. In this case, it was a personal care product of some sort. Mm -hmm. I I think it might have been perfume or something along those lines. So cosmetics, I guess I could see too. Personal care. But all in the tiniest footprint you can imagine because these were two tandemized or or, uh, robots that were working in tandem. One was slightly larger payload to handle the liquids that were being... The one that was just erecting the case was a Mm -hmm. smaller payload. But working within the same, you know, monoblock, I guess you'd call it for lack of a better term, within Mm -hmm. within the same small gate cage... This is not a collaborative situation, but just the small footprint, small sizes, fast speeds. It's what people are turning to robots for. Interesting. And that's, again, that's, I hate to keep speaking as if it's replacing people. It's not even that. It's, it, it is replacing, but it's, there's a workforce shortage of hundreds of thousands of manufacturing jobs that need to be filled. And these seem ideal for especially something like that that's kind of serving two purposes. Yeah, well, I can imagine this being, I mean... If you were a contract packager or CMCP, mm-hmm. these are just the sheer flexibility and the availability of these things to uh, do multiple different tasks. Now, in this case, in the you know the the the, the demo that we saw, it was a one four-inch case, but you know that could have gone up to twelve inches, and you can you can separate the tandemized robots by a certain. You can make this larger to accommodate larger sitting. So if, when you think of somebody who needs to go from one product to another, uh, you know maybe once a year or once a month, or you know you know contract packager once a week, mm-hmm. uh, you can get multiple different use cases out of a single installation. Love it. And that reminds me, so this is not in robotics, but it's just a reminder in terms of like small footprint and a a problem that many people face is that the outfeed or the conveyor coming off of one machine is not matching the infeed of the next machine. And so kind of need to bridge that gap between those two in an efficient way. And I think a lot of the times it does end up being kind of a manual process. But let me make sure I'm getting the name right. This morning, I visited SpanTech and their mini microspan transfer, which is an automated way to convey materials in an even smaller footprint than basically what they had before. So it's, it's just kind of talking about like maximizing your floor space and automating whatever you possibly Mm -hmm. can and this was their way of meeting that industry need where you need to be able to convey materials from one machine to the next but it has to be done in this tiny footprint and the two in the outfeed and the infeed aren't matching up and so it's just a way to basically make your facility more versatile and more automated in that really small footprint i love it constrained spaces inability to grow yeah very constrained So we hit on a bunch of automation, a bunch of robotics. Is there one thing we can give that's not in the robotics sector? Well, I'm not going to see what I had planned to see today. I'm not going to get to see it till tomorrow. But on the materials side, we've been following, for some reason, Australia has been just the, the ground zero for paper packaging replacing traditional flexible packaging. Okay. Australia, we saw it rolled out with Mars, Snickers, Milky Way earlier this year. They're doing a a pilot with paper packaging, flow rack packaging, paper pack, fiber-based, recyclable, curbside recyclable packaging that is working on existing Mars equipment. That's a really key thing for the yeah, brand it's owner. it's huge. I mean, there might be some, I'm sure there's some sort of small retrofits that need to be done. Mm-hmm. You know, the, 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 the tearing and, and, the, and, the, and the heat sealing, you can heat seal or cold seal. That can be, the, the properties are different with paper than they are with the traditional Absolutely. packaging used in flow wrap. But, but it's done to such a capability that the, the, the brands, the, the, they're not having to, 
make these huge capital outlays to make this switch. Nestle did it also in Australia. Nestle did it with Kit Kats in one of their provinces. Province in Australia? Is that right? Sure, let's go with it. State, province, one of those. Sure. And then, yeah, even a tea company was using coal or paper. They had been using a metallized oriented polypropylene, obviously for barrier properties. Because it's tea, it's something that over time will lose its taste, its, its, its aroma, and so on. But paper and... Ad- they're not giving away the secret sauce. We don't know what it right, is, right. but it's some sort of usually clay or some sort of mineral kind of treatment that's used that adds to the shelf life. And again, most importantly, this equipment or these materials are running on existing equipment. Okay, yeah. So I just came from Pro Ampax booth and they have their new Kick It to the Curb initiative. And so basically they recognize that in the U.S., you know, products, packaging needs to be curbside recyclable if it's you know, going to basically maximize its potential to be recycled. We're not great at putting things in the right containers. No, it's already a challenge as it is. So it's store drop-off is, you know, has its place, but they're trying to maximize how much these things actually make it. So Mm -hmm. curbside it is, that's their focus. And so they debuted just this week or just this morning, a high barrier paper product, which can, it, it's good for applications, including frozen, dry foods, and powder applications for form fill seal. And so the interesting thing here is like what Matt was saying is that these are grease-resistant, fiber-based, curbside recyclable packages. And so this does not have any PFAS in it. They can't say, you know, in terms of, you know, like what you're saying, it's proprietary. So Secret sauce, yeah. It is a secret sauce. You know, I, I can't tell you that it's a coating or a lining or it's something that's embedded in the material itself, but that is their proactive recyclable RP1000. And so they have high barrier and standard barrier options. And something interesting is that it's pre-how to recycle qualified. So if you guys are familiar with the very ubiquitous how to recycle symbol that's on packages. This is just, it's pre-qualified, I believe, to my, my understanding is correct, that customers will still have to take it through some process to make sure that they can put that on there. But the material itself is qualified. So that's just kind of, it's just making things easier, streamlining and making sure that you can put that symbol on, which will then hopefully increase the chance of these packages making it into the proper waste stream. Awesome. Well, that's all the time that we want to take from you guys right now. I want to thank you all for coming and and hearing what Karen and Matt had to say. I want to thank Matt. I want to thank Karen for taking time to come up here to do this. And enjoy the rest of your show. Please rate, review, and subscribe. To do that, go to the iTunes podcast or Spotify app on your phone and search for Unpacked with PMMI.